Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I am your host, Jordan Jones. We're not going to waste a whole lot of time on the intro today. We finally have good news to break down on today's show. As I'm sure you've all heard, the day has finally come. Yesterday, the Big Ten Board of Presidents and Chancellors unanimously voted to play football this fall beginning on October 24th. This is a reversal of their decision on August 11th to push the football season to the spring semester. That decision was met with outrage from Big Ten players, parents, coaches, and fans, and has gotten us to the point we're at today where the teams are cleared to practice and begin preparing for the season beginning on October 24th. Now, I think this is a very good thing for the conference, and in reality, it's a good thing for everybody besides the woke sports media sports writers who were insistent that playing this season was a bad idea. Dan Wolken, Nicole Auerbach, Greg Doyle, you know who, all, who they all are. They spent all summer long telling you we could not play football this fall. The Big Ten finally did what needed to be done and reversed their decision and said let's play football in true Jeff Brown style. Look, the PR image of what was going on right now with the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 getting ready to play this fall and for the Big 12 and ACC kicking off their seasons last Saturday, while the Big 10 just sat out and looked towards the spring, look, it's a bad look for everyone involved. But it's a really bad look for the outsiders from the Big 10. The fans aren't going to be happy about it, but it's a bad look for the Big Ten's brand, which we all know, especially from the Jim Delaney years, the Big Ten values its brand more than they value anything else. And that's the right way to go about it. This is a reversal of a decision that looked bad for the Big Ten's brand. A lot of people in the sports media brought up that this was going to drastically impact recruiting for Big Ten programs. I don't know how much I buy that. I think certainly there are some instances where a recruit could be swayed by the notion that, oh, they care more down south, which is true. Uh, You know, they're more willing to play. They're willing to stand up for the players and other conferences. But I don't know how much of an impact that would really make. There's a lot of strong football brands in the Big Ten. Ryan Day wasn't going to struggle to bring players to Ohio State. James Franklin wasn't going to struggle to bring players to Penn State. Um, I I just don't know how much that would have impacted things, but, you know, it would really hurt the conference financially. Uh, You know, the conference has massive TV deals with Fox, with ESPN, and obviously with their own network, the Big Ten Network. I mean, we haven't had live sports on Big Ten Network since early March with the first night of the Big Ten tournament when Nebraska and Indiana played in the final live Big Ten sporting event of the 1920 academic year. Um, You know, the idea that the Big Ten was going to play in the spring was always a little bit tough to believe for me. I know that there's a market for it. I know that there are fans who would love to watch the Big Ten football play in the spring. People who love college football would like watching Big Ten football play in the spring. But there are a lot of people, like myself, look, I think there's a season for football. That's the fall. I love watching football in the fall. I mean, tonight, it's a Thursday as I'm recording this right now. I'm going to watch the Browns-Bengals Thursday night football game. 
I plan on watching college football Saturday, and I plan on watching my Bears in the 1 o'clock game Sunday, then watching the 425 game, then watching the Sunday night game. And on Monday, I want to watch the Monday night game. And that's what I like to do in the fall. And there are so many people who like to do that. But what do spring football ratings look like? Historically, never good. We tried it in the 80s with the USFL. It didn't work. We tried it in 2001 with the first rendition of the XFL. It didn't work. We tried it last year again with the XFL round two, a year after we tried it with the AAF. None of it has worked. And granted, you can point the arrows to lesser quality play, but it's still professional football. And if we're doing spring football with no fans in the stands, I just don't see how it would have been possible for the Big Ten to gain the amount of publicity that they are going to by playing this fall starting October 24th. Now, I've been very critical of Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren throughout this entire process. And I don't know that it was always fair uh, for myself and many others to be critical of him. Um, At the end of the day, this decision was made by the presidents and chancellors. However, Warren's silence throughout this entire process was maddening. I think so many people were frustrated by it because... Jim Delaney would have never let that happen. Um, And we see a changing of the guards for the first time in a long time in the conference. And it takes some getting used to. But at the end of the day, the Big Ten did what was right for itself. Um, You know, another thing on the TV networks that I was mentioning earlier. Let's face it. Last week's Big Noon Saturday on Fox, which was essentially designed for the Big Ten when Fox landed the Big Ten deal prior to the 2017 season. uh, It was supposed to be Louisiana Tech versus Baylor. Great. Louisiana Tech, a good Conference USA team, I guess. And Baylor, a a good Big 12 team that just lost their coach and is breaking in a new coach. Great. You know, these Big Ten matchups are going to draw far more viewership You have a massive coast-to-coast interest in the Big Ten. The alumni bases are expansive. It's a really, really good thing that the Big Ten is back playing. And I think, really, this is great for Purdue. I've said this before on the show, and I know I've gotten some feedback disagreeing with this, and I think it's fair. It's a contentious point that I do understand should someone disagree where they're coming from, but... I do think Purdue was really hurt last year in terms of momentum. Let's face it. Purdue and Jeff Brom's first two years could not have asked for more. Brom comes in. Purdue's expected to go, what, three and nine, maybe? And they go seven and six with a bowl game win. His second year, you know, you expect more of the same, but, you know, they start off slow. And then they beat a couple ranked teams. They beat a ranked Boston College team, a ranked Ohio State team, and one of the best nights in Ross 8 history. They beat a ranked Iowa team. And then they go to a bowl game. And you could argue that maybe some of the bad optics started in that bowl game when Auburn obviously rolled through Purdue 63-14. to 
And then Purdue kicks off the season with primetime losses with Nevada and TCU. Look, Purdue had a lot of injuries last year. I, I agree. And I that's the biggest part of why Purdue struggled was that they weren't healthy. However, there's a no getting away from fact that since Purdue beat Ohio State, they're 6-12. and 12. It is time for Purdue to get back in the winning column. It's time for Purdue to get momentum back and start doing what makes Purdue Purdue under Jeff Brom. Put up points, win games, make exciting plays. This is a great opportunity for Purdue to get that back. Purdue lost both their trophy games last year against Illinois and Indiana. And Indiana's an upstart program. They're doing well under Tom Allen. Purdue needs an opportunity to pop them back in the mouth and get the bucket back in West Lafayette. That's the expectation of the Purdue fan base. And once they return to beating Illinois and Indiana and competing for a bowl game, the momentum's going to pick right back up to where it left off. And it's going to be a really good thing for Purdue fans, Purdue athletics as a whole, and the Purdue football program. The season's going to look different. I understand that. I am very well aware that, you know, there may be games canceled. There may be games where Purdue or their opponent is on their entire second unit offensive line, but that's a great chance for Purdue to do some good things. And what's fascinating about the Big Ten is the testing protocols. Uh, These are far more substantive than what other conferences are doing. Players are going to be tested every single day beginning three weeks prior to the start of the season, the start of uh, competition play. And a player who tests positive can't play for 21 days following their positive test. That's extreme. That's big, big news. Uh, That's a big impact that it could have on your season. You know, if you are Ohio State, and Justin Fields were to test positive after the second game, he's missing your next three games. That's a big blow. If you're Purdue and George Karlaftis were to test positive and miss three games, that's a big blow. All of this is interesting to follow. Every school has a chief infection officer responsible for communicating with the Big Ten offices. I'm cool with all these protocols. I don't care at this point. Football is football, and what I think is going to be interesting to follow here is what are classes going to look like for these student-athletes? Look, I'm a student at Purdue. Purdue has made it pretty clear that attendance to in-person meetings is optional. Um, I mean, you can't get penalized for not coming to class at Purdue right now. So what does that look like for football? Um, you know, I do believe Purdue has more in-person class time than any other Big Ten school. Our football players and, you know, it sounds like all the fall sports are a go. Are all of our fall athletes going to be expected to go to class every day and potentially, you know, expose themselves to people with COVID-19? If all of the coursework can be done virtually and we have students all across the country, taking classes at Purdue virtually, why risk a player testing positive from being in a classroom or being in an academic building? 
if all of it can get done virtually and you have the athletic library at the Breeze Performance Center right next to Lambert Fieldhouse there, why not just make that the athlete area? I, I'm assuming right now that, you know, if courses were to be shifted fully online and the in-person segments were to be over with, that football is still playing. I think that's how it should be. But, you know, Purdue has maintained fairly low COVID numbers, but there's always that chance that case numbers rise and over at Hovde Hall, administration is going to have a heck of a decision on their hands as to what to do. Now, getting back into football a little bit, it was interesting. Mike Carmen, a longtime Purdue beat writer over at the Lafayette Journal and Courier, reported that the conference schedule will come from the original nine-game conference schedule. So that would have been the original schedule for this year that included the three non-conference, the six divisional opponents, and then the uh, three crossovers with Indiana, Michigan, and Rutgers. Um, It does sound like from what Mike Bobinski said in interviews yesterday that the Old Oak and Bucket game with Indiana will stay in the final week of the regular season. So that would leave either Michigan or Rutgers to get cut off a Purdue schedule. That is a big difference. That that is going to matter for Purdue. Uh, If you cut off Michigan, you might be saving yourself a loss. If you cut off Rutgers, you might be preventing yourself from adding another win to the record this year. Um you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the schedule looks like. I know at one point the thought was to play the division games first. Then when the Big Ten released that one-time 10-game schedule, you had cross-division games early on with Indiana-Wisconsin and Purdue-Michigan. I don't know what they're going to do. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on the Big Ten to see what the football schedule looks like. Um You know, my favorite part of the schedule, and this is a fascinating idea that has really never been done in college football, but the Big Ten Championship will be held on December 19th. Every team in the conference, all 14 teams, are going to be active that week. You're going to have the one versus one from the East and West playing, the two versus two, all the way down to the seven versus seven. I know it's very unrealistic uh, to add this to every season with injury concerns and bowl game prep and having already played 12 games in 13 or 14 weeks, but this would be really cool. I think if you apply this in a normal season, it would give coaches a really good opportunity to allow their redshirted players to play with the four game redshirt rules, um, allow all your returnees to play uh, and just give them, you know, almost a, a mini spring game, but against actual competition uh, in a game that does matter to some degree. But additionally, you know, thank goodness that the rumors of neutral sites in domes didn't come true. I'm glad it's in st- the on-campus stadiums. Why would I want to watch Minnesota and Iowa play at Lucas Oil Stadium? Why do I want to watch Maryland play against Illinois at the Edward Jones Dome in St. Louis? You don't. Um, We're going to do this in person on on-campus games 
COVID is already killing these athletic department finances enough. There is absolutely no reason to ask both teams to travel to a game. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it does sound like that there will not be fans in the stands. I am sure Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio State are going to fight back hard on that. Those are the three athletic departments and administrations that we have seen kind of have the courage to stand up to the Big Ten here and promote their own interests. Um, We have seen at Purdue, Mitch Daniels yesterday said there will not be tailgating in any form on campus. Um, So, you know, that presumably will mean Slater Hill, no chance. Ackerman Golf Course, no chance. I am lots, no chance. Uh, You're going to have to get creative if you want to tailgate this year. I don't think it's going to happen. But either way, having games in the on-campus stadiums, Ross 8 at Purdue, Spartan Stadium in East Lansing, that's going to be a lot better than playing at neutral sites. And look, I'll address this because the idea has been going around on Twitter. Uh, that Rondale Moore could potentially opt back into the season. It's being discussed, so I'm just going to express my severe doubts that this takes place. Rondale Moore opted out for a very, very real reason. He is a likely first-round NFL draft pick. That's not something we've had a lot of at Purdue. We haven't had a first-round draft pick since Ryan Kerrigan. I believe that was the 2011 draft, maybe 2010 draft. It's been a while. And, you know, this NFL outlook for these smaller players, you know, they don't want to take as many hits as they can. Uh, You want to limit the amount of hits you take. You want to get paid for the hits you're going to take. This goes all the way back to 2003 with the Maurice Claret lawsuit against the NFL, a player who was at Ohio State, was going to be an NFL player, didn't want to take many hits. And his career tanked after that, but that brought up the idea to the forefront that these small players, running backs, and slot receivers who are going to get hit a lot want to limit the amount of hits they take. Um, Moore doesn't have a lot to gain from this season. There's probably a couple wide receivers that are cemented above him in the draft. Looking at LSU's Jamar Chase, Alabama's Jalen Waddell, uh, I don't know that Rondale Moore is going to beat those guys out in the draft order. Uh, I just think the risks of Rondale Moore playing this season far outweigh the rewards. Uh, Rondale Moore opted out uh, back in early August. I want to say August 8th. And he knew there was going to be some form of a season when he opted out. Uh, I don't think he opted out under the impression that the Big Ten was not going to play whatsoever. Uh, I think he accepted that there's going to be Purdue football games this fall. He was going to miss them, but that was a fair trade-off to start preparing for the NFL draft. I think that's very fair. We have not had a lot of guys do that at Purdue, even in basketball. Purdue has not been a program with lots of early entrants. Uh, Under Matt Painter, there's been two, Caleb Swanigan and Carson Edwards. That's it. Those are the only two guys who have left early from Purdue basketball. In Purdue football, we have, boy, I can't even think of someone right now who's left early for the NFL draft. Uh, Very few and far between. I think uh, 
Ray Edwards and Bernard Pollard, maybe. I mean, that's we're going back a long way for guys who leave Purdue early for the NFL draft. Um, you know, I'd be surprised to see him return. I cannot blame anyone on Twitter for being excited and being hopeful that Rondale Moore returns this year. But, um, you know, I figured I'd at least give my thoughts there as to why Rondale Moore will not be suiting up in the golden black this fall. At the end of the day, we are, there's still a lot to be determined about this fall season. There's a lot to be discussed still. We just don't have a lot of answers yet. And I don't want to speculate here. Uh, I want to deliver the facts. I want to deliver my opinion on the facts, but I don't want to make a lot of speculation. It's going to be really nice to drive by the practice field and see guys on the field. Uh, we haven't really seen it in a while. We've seen some isolated players out there, but um, the countdown's on. We are 69 days, excuse me, 69 days away from basketball. We are 37 days away from Big Ten football, and it cannot come soon enough. I cannot wait. Um, we're going to have our first ever pregame episode of Boilers and Beyond uh, that week before the October 24th kickoff. Uh, the last thing before we close today, we began our lock of the week segment last week with a winner. Coastal Carolina plus six against Kansas hit easily. The Chanticleers won the game outright, and it really wasn't close. Uh, this week, we are going with Wake Forest plus two and a half against NC State. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest is a much better coach than Dave Doran at NC State. Uh, Wake has won three in a row in the series. NC State's been trending down for a few years. Doran is on the hot seat, and I don't see much life in that program. I know Wake struggled against uh, Clemson last week. Who doesn't struggle against Clemson? They're going to bounce back here. They're going to get a win, and we're going to go to 2-0 here in the Boilers and Beyond Lock of the Week segment. Uh, no audience Q&A this week due to the timely nature of the news with Big Ten football being back. We'll bring that back next week. So that's all I have for this week's show. Thank you for spending your time with me today. Next time on the show, we'll be discussing the NCAA's announcement of a college basketball start date, and we're going to take a look at what the season could look like for Matt Painter's Young Boilermakers. If you want to hop in on the Q&A sessions, give us a follow on Twitter at Boilers Beyond and hit us up before next week's episode. We will be back Tuesday for more of the biggest news and high-level analysis of Purdue Athletics, so be sure to tune in. Until then, stay safe.